Welcome, welcome my friends to the Beggars and Brawlies podcast. This is episode number 24, recorded July the 16th of 2021, as I sit in a rapidly heating semi in Billings, Montana, about to board a plane to go see my family, which I'm very excited about. So today, I have a new chapter for you from Dragon Bard, chapter number two, and the best fantasy quartet you've never read. It has been a long beginning to the fruit season. I have worked 28 days out of the last 31, like at least 12 hour days, sometimes 15 or 16. And uh, I did get a couple days off, so I'm not feeling totally exhausted. But what I am feeling is like I miss my kids. Juliet is a year and a half and Mac is three and a half and they're just changing so fast and Mac is old enough that he knows that I'm gonna come home. Juliet just wonders why her dad is on Zoom instead of there in person. Um, and she's so darn squeezable. I gotta get home and squeeze her. So I'm really excited to go home doing that like literally as soon as I get done recording this. In the meantime, like I said, I've got a new chapter of the Dragon Bard. If you listened last time, you heard a piece of chapter one. So I'm gonna read you a piece of chapter two. I don't wanna bore you with the whole thing, but there's a link in the liner notes for you to go and read the whole thing. Or if the link doesn't work, it's my website, levijacobs.com slash dragon hyphen bard hyphen chapter hyphen two.html. And if you didn't hear chapter one, this'll still make sense. Uh, it works on its own. So here we go. The hatchling glowed from the heat of the earth, scales tiny and perfect, where it lay curled against its mother's bulk. Makina could still trace the trail of cooling magma back to the hole the tiny dragon had torn in the caldera floor, the mother's trumpets waking them all before dawn. Five seasons they had waited for this, for the brood of twenty-three eggs the mother had laid to return from the magma. Makina itched to scoop this newest one up, to nuzzle its blunt nose and curl its fin tail into the crook of her arm. She resisted, not only because the heat turning its leaf-shaped scales translucent would sear the flesh from her bones, but because of its mother's gaze. She knew that gaze, had held it herself during her first few years on the ice, raising Caden in half-lung caldera, fifty miles to the north. It was the gaze that said nothing would come between the mare and her child, not anyone in the caldera, or on the ice, or even the spell of the dragon lull itself, beating out steadily above them. The trainer had warned about this during Makina's orientation to the ice years ago. It was one of the few times when the lull's rhythm could fail to keep a dragon docile. Makina stepped to the side slowly, breathing deep and keeping her eyes down. The mother, a great copper-scaled creature, watched with liquid steel eyes as Makina pushed the protective wall back around the brood. It was only a sheet of beaten iron, but designed to give the illusion of privacy and security, like the isolated calderas wild dragons bred in. With any luck, it would keep the mother from trying to move her brood. They couldn't afford to lose this mare and her hatchling, plus the two that had surfaced yesterday. And Makina thought she understood something in that half-lidded gaze, a promise of violence if anything came between the mother and her young. Rest easy, Sleepbank, Makina said, using the name her son had given to the beast. He named all their dragons, though it was frowned on among the settlers. 
You're safe. Your children are safe. Nothing can get us here. We're too far out. Except for sleep banks, kind, of course. But she did her best to make sure no dragons were poached near their land. Kala send it was enough. Makina shoved the hinged wall closed, iron grating on basalt. In the stillness that followed, something deeper than thought registered. Something trained into her from hard years on the ice and harder years in the old world before them. She tensed, stilled, thinking at first it was the mother reacting to the moved wall, but all was quiet there. Makina took a breath, listening for footsteps or a snatch of human conversation on the wind. Poachers, maybe, like the pack that had come two weeks ago. She heard nothing, and that was worse. Her heart seized. Caden, she cried, spinning for the caldera wall. The lull! All right, so that was the beginning of chapter two. Hope it drew you in. This is the character I am admittedly most excited to write. I love her backstory. I love who she is, and uh, I think she's going to be a lot of fun. So this was fun and easy for me to write. Sometimes it takes me a while to get into character, but with Makina, I'm just like right there, I think, because I know her so well, going back to what we talked about last time. I have to know my people and my stories well before I can really write them. So in my personal reading, I have started, uh, I'm not going to say this right, Cixin Lu's The Three-Body Problem. Um, a book I've always wanted to read and that comes super highly recommended because it uh, randomly is being released for free in audio form um, over at Stories from Among the Stars, a podcast that brought uh, Steal the Stars a few years ago, which is an amazing audio production if you haven't heard it. Super entertaining. I loved it. And they're releasing a couple of chapters a week from The Three-Body Problem through the beginning of August, and then the whole thing will be up on that podcast for another month or so. For anyone to listen to. So there will be a link to that in the liner notes. You should definitely check it out. I've listened to the first chapter and uh, it looks like everybody's right. It's really good. And I also, before starting to listen to that, finished book four of the Dagger in the Coin series by Daniel Abraham. And you may be thinking <laughs> that there's a little bit of a pattern here that I'm basically always reading Daniel Abraham. And you would be correct in that. I just love his writing. And this book did not let me down, even though he does have that meandering plot thing that I've talked about before. He's just so good, and his characters are so good. Like, mm, I want Makina to be like one of Abraham's characters. He's, uh, you know, he's an author crush. So the other thing that I wanted to share with you today is that I made that author crush public. <laughs> Over on the Fantasy Review, I have a guest post called The Best Quartet You've Never Read, A Lament for the Unread Glory of the Long Price Quartet. So that name kind of says it all, but I thought I'd share it with you because it's short. Here's what I wrote. As an indie author, of course, I come across indie books that I think are shamefully underread. As a fantasy reader, equally do I come across traditionally published books that feel shamefully overread. But rarely do I find a trad book that's shamefully underread, let alone a quartet. But I'm here today to bemoan one to you, the Long Price Quartet by Daniel Abraham. Stop here if you've read it. You, I'm sure, will have no need of me going on at length about the originality, beauty, twisty turniness, and poignancy of this series. You know. Only, I'm guessing you're not one of the few. 
Rarely do I see this series come up in online discussions, even as Abraham's co-written The Expanse series is a powerhouse in science fiction and fantasy discussions, and his second epic fantasy series, The Dagger and the Coin, gets a fair amount of love. I've read all of these. I love all of these. I count Abraham as a deep influence on my own writing. And yet, taken as a whole, I would say the best of them is the least known. This brings up two equally interesting questions. Why and why? Let's start with why, as in why the Long Price Quartet is the best. That's easy. What do people love fantasy for? For clever magic, you may say. Okay, how about a world of magician poets who train for years to write one perfect verse? And when they do, they control the god that poem has summoned. And when they fail, they die horribly? One of the hidden strengths of Abraham's writing, and you see this in the Dagger and Coin too, is how well he imagines the ramifications of his magic. Extending out into the economy, imagine what the god Stone-Made Soft does for the mining industry, or flows towards sea can do for agriculture, as well as into his poets and across cultures. I digress. Why, again, do people love fantasy? For epic settings, you might say. This, again, is a force to be reckoned with in the Long Price Quartet. Not only because these divine poems make for a fabulous world, but because Abraham is damn good at drawing us into it. Every writer aspires to paint their world in all five senses. Abraham nails it, with language that stays as rich and vibrant on the last page as it is on the first. You've probably read some books where the first chapter was the best written. Not the case here. For compelling characters, you might say. I can't even start with the people making these stories move. The poets, many of them royal sons who've abdicated their inheritances to prevent wars of succession, and the rich ways they look at the world, the family ties, and the way they separate as much as bind, the lovers. One thing I love in particular about this series is how love, both true and mistaken, pushes his characters to do glorious and awful things. Love is a great motivation. The best motivation, but I again digress. I said we needed to ask why and why. I think we've answered the first question. Long Price Quartet's underread status is shameful because the books are so damn good in all the ways that we love fantasy books to be. So now the bigger question, why? Why have we ignored this quadruple gem of awesome tucked into the rear shelves of our collective and fantastical library? This, I don't have pat answers for. Perhaps the books, Ned Stark-like, are too good to exist in our current world. Or they're a little too literary, though I lean decidedly towards good story versus pretty prose, and I adore them. Or they came out at that awkward time before Game of Thrones had hit and fantasy in general was in a bit of a lull? The short answer is that this question, this why, is more of a wounded cry on my part than a real query. A rhetorical shout to the gods demanding justice for books that made me weep and stay up far too late on many a night. Or maybe just a shout to you, dear reader, that if you're looking for a book that does all these things, and more so does them beautifully, then I've got a quartet for you. So, that's my ode to Mr. Abraham and his first series, which I do think is his best. It's so worth a read if you haven't read it, and if you like my stuff, because he's such an influence, you'll probably like his too. Uh, I'll be extremely flattered if you don't. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so with that, my friends, I need to drive this semi to the airport and get on a plane to see my family. I cannot wait. I'll be back in a couple weeks with another chapter of Dragon Bard for you. 
Uh, the link to that full chapter is in the notes, and there's a poll at the end if you want to help me think up what happens next. I want this book to be interactive, so check that out. I'll have another chapter for you next week. And in the meantime, I hope this podcast finds you well and in the company of good books. Till then, read on, my friends. For more information on Levi Jacobs and his books, including the award-winning Tide Collar Chronicles, please visit www.levijacobs.com. Or for a free audiobook, only available to podcast listeners, go to www.levijacobs.com slash free. Thanks for listening and read on.